Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path podcast, actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path. Some creepy music playing right now. Crazy. It is super creepy for <laughs> no apparent reason, of course. Sudi's about to get a vision. That's why it's creepy. It's vision time. Could be. In fact, it's eerie if you're going by the description that Sirenscape gives me. Oh, eerie. Ooh. Like eerie Indiana? Ooh. Yes, exactly like eerie Indiana. There's your 90s reference. Early 90s. Oh, oh early 90s. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I suppose we should just kind of get back into things when uh, this episode, what are we, 116? Jesus. (laughs) I know. It's crazy, man. Just keep on counting. So when last we had left our heroes, the doorkeepers of the Duat, had found themselves deep inside of the tomb of Chisisek, his pyramid hidden deep in the northern the northern portion of the southern portion of the Partstones. Getting into weird delineations there. Yay. You know, it's yes. it's down the street from the Burger King. You take a right. Yes. <laughs> if you've if you hit the turquoise house, you've gone too far. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There Precisely. You <laughs> having found or having made their way down here, they had unfortunately triggered a trap and by trap i mean awoken a golem which then subsequently began to beat the party into the ground the party after defeating said golem had made their way deeper to find surprise surprise another golem omg just a sec we're not silly silly weird clockwork golem thing yep so there's an awesome clockwork golem down there you open the door took one look at it it turned into a giant wall of slicing gears and you said nope and then stepped back down the hallway at which point it had done the uh the creepy, just slow, close the door thing while maintaining eye contact with you the entire time. It's like we've entered the Spencer Mansion. <laughs> yes. At which point you just decided, you know what? He doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. Let's go take a nap. Mm-hmm. I yeah. believe it was the it was Also, we just got done getting beat up by one golem. We don't need to go start in a fight with another one. And now Sudi is off on his own with Narmer after talking to Tedasura, and he's about to have a vision. Oh, yeah. It's vision time. Yeah. After gaining some insights. Sort of. From the enigmatic Sphinx. It's all riddles. In a way of speaking, yes. I actually, I I looked this up the other day because I found it amusing. The definition of a riddle is a question or statement intentionally phrased so as to require ingenuity in ascertaining its answer, meaning, or meaning, and typically presented as a game. So technically, even by just being vague in her statements and requiring you to intuit what she's saying, it's still a riddle. Weird. I know Weird. some people that speak in riddles all the time, although it doesn't require intuition. It requires psychic <laughs> magic to be able to read their thoughts. <laughs> no, no. This does specifically state that it must be intentionally. Oh, so. <laughs> okay. That's definitely not intentional from those people. No. Yeah. So you'd spoken some with uh, Tedesura. You had learned a little bit more, uh, well, a bit about Hakatep and his relationship with Chisisek. Like an understanding, at least. Yeah. I mean, every mad tyrant needs that person to, like, turn what their mad ravings are into some s- coherent order. So there you go. Yes. He is the red cloak to his uh, Psycon. <laughs> Heather got that. Um, I, I sure didn't. I didn't. Order the stick. Okay. Oh, so of course I didn't get it because I never read Order the Stick. I've only read the first book. Don't send me hate mail, guys. It was a while ago. (laughs) Richard Burlow is a very nice man. It's actually really good. Or Sudi had then turned to go and rejoin his compatriots when he had uh, heard the stirrings of the mask once again. This distant sound of shouting, of conflict. You can't quite be certain. And then I believe he had uh, withdrawn the mask from inside his pouch. And donned it again, feeling bad and telling Narmer to watch him so he doesn't go like run himself into a cliff or off a cliff. 
Don't worry, shooty. You're 100% shaving my hands. Flippers. My flippers. <laughs> so, as we begin, Sudi, you reach back to your pack, I suppose, and sling it from your shoulder. Reach in, pull out the, the placid, peaceful death mask of the pharaoh. I suppose slide it over your face. That cool sensation, like, of cool mud forming across your face shoots through. It probably sends a tingle up your spine as the mask reforms to fit you. You close your eyes. By this point, your ears fully attuned to the, the sounds from inside the headdress. And as you open your eye, the scene around you has shifted and changed. The sun was setting where you were, but here the sun is gone entirely as you find yourself indoors. A large chamber surrounds you. Square, four pillars, spacious. The center area of it is a sand pit. No more than maybe two feet lower than the outside walk area. An area that reminds you distinctly of the House of Panteru and that central courtyard where you fought the sand creature so long ago, but grown to magnificent size from one side to the other, maybe a hundred feet across with large tarps overhead that obscure the sky and make it impossible to tell night from day, black and red in design. Two boys stand in the center of the sand strewn courtyard. One tall, muscular, perhaps your age, 16, maybe 17. You recognize the young boy from from the vision you had before last. The one who had spoken to the strange priestess in the streets outside of the temples in Sothis. The other is the older brother, tall, strapping, handsome, muscular, bare-chested with the holy symbol of Set hanging about his neck. Ooh, somebody converted! Shaved head and dark-eyed. Again, at this point, you think he must be a man of some, in his early 20s, older than you are now. Two statues on the far sides of the courtyard look down over the two boys. Both of them tall, muscular figures capped with the heads of set beasts. In front of these two statues are two figures. One is a man that, Sudi, you can only infer. And again, the mask has been sending you some of the visions that you think on Eurus had seen, as if trying to teach you the things that it taught him. The man that must be these boys' uncle, the pharaoh's brother, and his regalia of set with his leopard skin hanging about him, the leopard skin denoting him as a priest. The other is a woman, sharp to feature, not, you think, the man's wife, judging by the distance they hold between them. A warrior, obviously, in armor with a kopesh at her side with a spear on her back. She watches the boys in interest, the sharp cut of her hair giving her face an even sharper, more distinct line. As you watch the two boys in the center of the ring, the center of this courtyard, circle one another. The sounds come back to you, the sounds that you'd heard before, the clash of steel as the two boys dart forward with their kopeshes, swinging, darting, moving back and forth. The older is stronger, faster, more agile, more skilled, obviously, with the blade. The younger does his best to keep up, but even now you can tell that while he's fit, he doesn't possess the natural strength or skill as his older brother. As you watch, the older brother switches from 
what you consider to be a balanced stance, Suda, you're used to watching soldiers anticipating their moves, particularly those wielding blades as you have to fight with your bare hands and find your openings and ways to get in. He goes from a, a balanced stance to a much more aggressive one, bearing down and steadily pushing the boy back and back as you can see small nicks beginning to appear on his arms and legs as the Kopesh's tip sneaks past his guard enough to get close, but never enough to score a, a vital hit, a telling blow. The boy bides his time, steps forward and swings, catching the other, hitting him in the thighs. He leaves an opening in his aggressive attacks. The other boy growls, stepping back, placing a hand down. You see a momentary pulse of black and red around his hand as he reaches up to touch his holy symbol and the wound closes. He eyes the boy before returning to a vicious attack, pushing him back until the boy's kopesh nearly drops before the younger boy slides down to one knee, reaches out a hand, places it on his brother's chest, and a pulse of electricity streams through the elder one. He stumbles back with a shout, hefting up his blade before the priest standing watching over them. Their uncle steps forward and raises a hand. Stop. That was good. The older and younger brothers both wheeze with the exertion. The older casting a dark glance towards his brother. That was cheap. I was winning. The priest looks him over, and yet you've dropped your weapon. The boy starts looking down to where the weapon must have fallen from his spasming grip. But the older man holds up a hand. It doesn't matter how. You win. I told you to take up swords and to disarm the other. I gave you no instruction past that. The older brother fumes. The younger behind him a few steps looks back towards his brother and you can see a mixture of concern, perhaps for, for his health or maybe his ego, but the slight puffing of his chest, the smaller, weaker, slower brother. The uncle lays a hand on the older boy's shoulder. Atet, your time will come. You are skilled and blessed by the dark father. He leans in close. And when your time comes, you must remember these lessons. Never underestimate your enemy. The boy nods and always assume your enemies are near. The older man turns to the younger brother. You did well, Ramos. Your strength grows but one should not put all of their faith in magic. The boy nods as the man begins to turn. That is not what Nahamra tells us. Ho uh, ho rebellion. Well, I mean, not this. The man stops <laughs> and looks back. Nahamra is a fool. The younger boy bites his tongue and nods. The door on the far side of the chamber opens. A pair of guards in resplendent armor step in. Two soldiers in gold and turquoise plate step inside, their faces obscured by full helmets. Armor and design that you, Sudi, recognize, as hey? you've seen the Risen Guard escorting Mamanafra. Mm. Oh. In past this steps an older man, darker, smaller, but still seemingly healthy. Judging by his beard and regalia, you can only assume the pharaoh. He smiles nods down towards the woman. Dear sister, the soldier, the woman that you'd seen overseeing them nods. My brother, my god king, your sons are doing excellent. 
I think they take to the training quite well. He nods, making his way down. And dear brother, he extends his arms to either side as his brother does as well, the two of them embracing in a formal manner. Not one with warmth, but more just that there's an expectation. I mean, one of them, yeah, is the living Horus, and one of them is Set. So, you know, <laughs> enemies for life. Istakimakhet informs me that you are training my boys quite well. The sister smiles and nods. The pharaoh's brother inclines his head. We do what we can here, my god king. What brings you... The pharaoh holds up a hand. It's time. The man's countenance darkens. You provided me a service, and I gave you my sons. It seems. He casts a glance somewhat concernedly over towards his oldest son. Not towards his face, but towards his chest, where the holy symbol lies. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The man smiles. Of course, you will want them to return back to your home. Yes. However, not for perhaps the same reasons as you think. The boys watch on curiously. Another figure joins them, making his way in. A third member of the Risen Guard follows behind this man and closes the door. And Sudi, you find yourself watching the black and white-robed figure of Nahamra as he strides up and stands beside his pharaoh. My pharaoh, high priest. He bows at the waist to the Sedite, who simply inclines his head. Nahamra, your wisdom, as always, is welcome in these conversations. Nahamra smiles, I am certain. The pharaoh nods. I have an old friend of mine. He tells me of dangers to the south. The lands beyond the brazen peaks are distant territories and lands. Of the story and the men, the cowards hiding even further to the south. The lands that were once ours. I am concerned. I believe that we need to have a stronger grip on our southern stretches. The pharaoh's brother nods. I can, of course, dispatch some of my temple guard. They can do... The pharaoh holds up a hand again. No, no. Committee is a powerful merchant and an old friend of our family. I wish to grant him the power of governance in the south. The man's face darkens. Governance should be maintained by our family, dear brother. Yes, governance should be maintained by the family. Itet, the man's... The boy stands to his feet steps forward. Father, you are to marry his eldest daughter, Soraya, mm. and make your way to the south to hold the lands there. Oh, interesting move. To the south, away from the palace. The pharaoh's eyes for a moment flicker down to his chest again before back to his son's eyes. Yes, you will hold the south. Your brother will stay here until he is of age, under my tutelage. He glances back towards the priest of Set. The younger boy inclines his head. As you wish, father. The pharaoh turns his back, begins to step away. Naham returns to follow him before the hand of the Setite shoots out and grabs his arm. I know this is your doing, Nahamra. The priest looks back at him, looks back towards the two boys, leans in close. You are right. None can escape the all-seeing eye. He inclines his head, and the scene fades as you look upon the enraged priest of Set, the equally seemingly angered older brother, and the younger brother whose chest seems to puff out just a bit more 
as he steps into his father's shadow and follows him out of the temple. Hmm, that's an interesting way to uh, conveniently remove the eldest brother from getting the experience at leadership. Well, he got super evil, so... Yeah, mainly because he became a Sedite. Well, he was already alienated a little bit because the Pharaoh wanted him to, you know, engage in this contest even before. That's true. The Pharaoh hasn't liked him in a long time. That's true. And seven years being trained by a Sedite probably didn't help. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if there was always a little bit of darkness there and the father saw it or father just might have had some favoritism toward his younger son. Well, it's also interesting because if I remember right in at least Egyptian, I'm not sure if it's the same in Osiriani, didn't they uh, in history, didn't they always marry like cousins or something like that so they could keep the bloodline pure? Or siblings, yeah. So having having him marry outside of the family is also like basically being like, yeah, you're not going to be on the throne, son. It should be noted, just for historical completion, as far as real-world Egyptology is concerned, uh, the marriage to sisters, they believe, may have just been symbolic. That there was no, like, actual incest or anything there. That it was just, you marry your sister and she is your wife. But then there's no carnal relationship. Yeah, but that doesn't I really... Believe ex- to have believed to have originally been that. Uh, over time, I think there's... Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> no, King Tut is the, the result of lots of incest. Yeah. It happened, but they've also found in, like, Egyptian poetry and stuff that men and women would refer to their spouses as their brother, even when there's no relation there. It's just something yeah. about the... I'm sure it had context context clues that we don't know because we don't speak ancient yeah. Egyptian anymore. <laughs> it was the same as like the um, tutors, you know, the European families. You know, they were all related in some way. I mean, look, what was it, King Charles or something? The one that had the oh, the one that they were like, how is he still alive? Yeah. So I mean, it's it's no different. It happened all over the world that you know this whole idea of pure. It's all the pure blood work. stuff from Harry Potter. Don't work. Got to have that genetic diversity. Yep. So I guess Sudi will uh, (laughs) remove the mask from his person. You slide it off, turn it around, I imagine, stare down as the mask. No, I'm not going to throw it like a frisbee into the desert. (laughs) First off, it'll come back. (laughs) But he'll put it back in his shield. Yeah. Put it back into his pack and kind of glance over it in armor. Did you catch all that? I caught everything. Great. Well, as far as visions go, that wasn't the worst one we've seen. So, but what's the worst it? one you saw? Was it something horrible? Gosh, I can't remember which ones are Onuris's and which ones are Sudi's. <laughs> By this point, the mask is almost shown Sudi everything that was showed oh, to uh, okay. Onuris. I just didn't reiterate those ones when it was showing them to Sudi. Oh, fair enough. I mean, the one where the pharaoh is laying dying and basically almost sells his sons into service for seven years is pretty bad. Oh, yeah, that'd be pretty terrible. Yeah, let's get back to the others so I can explain what I saw. Maybe they'll be able to glean more context from it than I can. Okay. Maybe one of them will remember. I I think it was six years. I thought it was seven. I don't know. Anyway, we go on. Sudi will climb back up the uh, cliffside, back up to where everybody's camped out in the tomb of Chisisek. Hollis is reading. Uh, What do you get taking 10 on a climb check, Sudi? My climb check is a 21. Okay, then yeah, you can ascend up the cliff face with uh, taking 10 with a little bit of trial and error, but you managed to make your way up to the top. With my natural climb speed. Narmer flaps alongside him the whole time. <laughs> it's probably Oops, why he slips a couple times is because he gets distracted. <laughs> well, he, he yeah, flies he, a little too close and like he's trying to whisper in his ear and it's like, I'm, tra- <laughs> I'm concentrating right now. <laughs> shooty, shooty. Since you're short and like in really dangerous and muscular, you're like a, a furry Tom Cruise. 
I don't know who that is. And who are you calling short? Look at you. <laughs> Relatively speaking, I mean, you're shorter than you're shorter than Sitcher? half of the people here. Yeah, but but not the other half. It, I was gonna say, but not Masika. <laughs> He's got you're an kinda, inch on her. You're kind of in the middle of the pack. <laughs> oh goodness. Or what? I guess a pride since you're a cat. Middle of the pride. I'm pretty sure we're a team. Oh, okay. I'm not that much like a cat. Technically, if we're all fish, you'd be a school. <laughs> but we're not. So we're Shish, not a school. Me and Mashika, we're a school of two. <laughs> Is there a minimum number of fish that have to be considered a school? I think it's two. two Don't quote would, me on that. Two would be a pair. I believe two would be a pair. So it's probably like three or five or something. I don't <laughs> know, man. Uh... <laughs> So I suppose you uh, you dramatically ascend your way, climbing up the cliff face, thinking about the things you just saw, reach the top, descend down. I believe you are all staying in the first room of the uh, the pyramid. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So make your way down. Are you just crashing on the uh, the bedrolls that the cultists actually left here? Or you no, pull no. You said multiple times that we are sleeping on our own stuff. All right. So yeah, I suppose you walk in. You find Hollis surrounded by various scrolls just rolled out all over the place around her. Yep. Mm-hmm. A chicken perched nearby, mm-hmm. seeming to organize the scrolls herself. <laughs> Refilling Hollis's uh, spell component pouch because magic. Because mm-hmm. it somehow never runs out, even though you only purchase it once. I only ever use chicken feathers. Yeah, it's only chicken feathers. <laughs> all your only spell component. magic is chicken-based. Yep. Masika sitting nearby, relaxing. Well, she's probably fiddling with some of the clockwork pieces she keeps in her bag. As a notebook out, sketching, you know, what she saw of the clockwork construct that the party just ran into. Citra sharpening her blades. She's probably drawing. Or drawing. Unhocked, sharpening his blades. There you go. Uh, all of you would glance up, I imagine, as the uh, the form of Sudi would step out of the shadows of the entryway and back in. Have a nice chat. I mean, it was an interesting conversation, but Tedesora is not the kind that's going to... Give me a clear answer on anything. Mm-hmm. Well, we already sort of figured that out. Yeah, so I didn't glean as much as I would hope from that. Uh, so I guess uh, Sudi, being aware that Unhocked is not included in the secret club of knowing what th- about the mask. <laughs> Even though I think that's kind of weird, because isn't he? Be- he's been gone for like thousands of years. Who's he going to tell? But uh, anyway. Cultists, if they have the Lamia can charm oh, people. Oh, if they do the charming they, people thingy. Yeah. Fair, you fair. know, if he gets kidnapped and they torture him. I mean, you know. <laughs> I mean, don't they already know that we have the mask, though? Anyway. Plus, we're on a secret mission. We don't need to be telling people about the secret mission. True. Um, maybe maybe after the next fight, Anhak can get inducted into secret mission times. But um, I guess Sudi will just be, just say, I mean, Teddy sort of never really gives clear answers. So I have things to puzzle out and think on because most of what she said was a riddle. You're filling up that, uh, what was it, mausoleum? No. Mausoleum? What mausoleum? In your brain. Your brain. Your brain palace. Your mental palace. You're filling it up with stuff. Yeah, sure. But Remember that time I, we did the ritual? Can I talk to you guys outside for a second? I have something I want to show you. Well, that's ominous. He kind of like <laughs> nods at Masika and Hollis and Citra. Hollis puts all of her scrolls back together and has... You could literally just have sugar like guard them for a second. And has sugar guard them. That's how <laughs> literally you're going to finish that sentence Okay, with. fine. What did Narmer do now? Masika sighs as she stands up. <laughs> you wouldn't believe me if I told you. Mm. You'll never know. In that he did nothing, and she would never believe that. <laughs> well, Unhacked, if you don't mind, hold down the fort for us. We'll be back in a minute. As you wish. Narmer, did you make the Sphinx mad? Nope. 
I think if she made the if he made the Sphinx mad, wouldn't he be dead? No. I feel like she would just crush him. Oh, I think she's sad that the cultish did steal the body of like her only friend. Uh, but also, she gave a cool like uh, necklace thing, shooty. Oh. Uh huh. I see uh, it. He's wearing it. Yes, I mean, there's <laughs> that. But oh, it's magical. <laughs> it's real neat. Does, I study it. What does it do? I don't know. Give me a minute. <laughs> she didn't exactly tell me all of its properties and abilities because that would be a straight answer, and we can't have that with sphinxes. Uh, I guess Hollis is gonna find her D twenty and then uh, roll a spellcraft check. You pull it out of your spell component pouch. Oh yeah, it's just dice in there. Uh, I roll an eight for a twenty-seven. Dang. It's pretty dang good. You would be able to identify this pectoral. Uh, first off, it does take up a next slot. Sweet. Cool. Um, that, is that going to be a problem for me? Mm-hmm. No, it's not. I don't have a uh, ring or uh, amulet of natural armor. Oh. I thought you had an amulet of the mighty fist. Ah, oh, crud. I do have an amulet of the mighty fist. We'll have to make <laughs> that unslotted. Uh, we're going to have to we're well, gonna have I mean, to we... that to unslotted. She gave it anyway, to Sudi to see who could use it. We need to figure out what it does. Uh, yeah, I guess we should see what it does to see if Sudi even wants it. <laughs> this ornate pectoral necklace is crafted out of articulated gold plates arranged in the shape of a falcon, the sacred That's animal cool. of Horus, the ancient Osirian god of the sun and sky. When outdoors and in an area with direct natural sunlight, the wearer of a sun falcon pectoral can call down dazzling beams of sunlight from the sky once per day. As a cool. standard action, each round for five rounds, the wearer can call down a five-foot-wide, 30-foot-long vertical sunbeam anywhere within 100 feet. A creature struck by a beam takes 3d6 points of damage and is blinded. Ooh. A successful Ooh. reflex save halves the damage and negates the blindness. So it's like lightning storm. The wearer does not need to call down a sunbeam each round, but once five rounds have passed, no more beams can be called down. Indoors, cool. underground, or in areas of darkness, the wearer can instead create a daylight effect with the necklace once per day. The daylight effect lasts for up to two hours. Whether used to create daylight or sunbeams, a sun sun falcon pectoral can only be used once per day. Okay, so that's really just like anybody could use it kind of a thing. But yeah. That sunbeams is cool because then Sudi gets a better ranged attack because he doesn't have to take the penalties to shoot it. (laughs) It seems like a person should have my armor. Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, anybody can have it. Okay, Hollis says no. I think it makes more sense for uh, more of a magic user to use it because... I'm going to be up there slashing things. I mean, I have an amulet of natural armor. I mean, it would be good for Sudi just because I yeah. need, a, I could have a ranged attack option if we get into another combat so situation where it. I'm like, he's in the air. I can't do anything. Yeah, well, but so I would just keep it. it to you. Yeah, but so I guess I'll just keep it. Yep. it. It's kind of funny because it's similar to the one that I have on my art when I updated it with Sudi not having oh, anything. Nice. I had, I actually gave him a pectoral, but it was just more like for just because it looked Egyptian. But now it's like, that. that's what it looks like. Spiffy. Cool. Heather's All just right. in there. It's like, man, on yours would have looked so cool with a sun. God, he would have looked so <laughs> cool in it. It would have been shooting sunbeams from the sky. <laughs> uh, it would have been so cool. I'm kind of disappointed. I miss on yours. I know. <laughs> this would have been a great moment. Now I'm just sad. Me too. We need to move on from here. But now you have me. I'm better than so you. So use the sunbeams immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I can spit things indefinitely. Well, and technically, Narmer could wear the pectoral. <laughs> Oh Lord! Oh, magic pectoral. So sugar. I, I don't. Oh, I don't trust dude, him to sugar. <laughs> my boy, a sweet falcon boy. Oh. <laughs> and I kind of really want to give it to sugar. <laughs> At least until we uh, get my thing slotless. <laughs> she's not really ever going to use. No, she's literally never going to use it. But it would be hilarious, and she would look. Dapper. And light comes down. <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious. amazing. 
You just puff out your chest and beams of sunlight she start streaming down. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, are you going to tell us the other thing? Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry, I got distracted by magic items as I so want to do. So is that why you called us out here? We could have talked about that in front of On Hot. No, after I got done talking with the Sora and getting this pectoral, um, the mask showed me another vision. Mm. It wasn't as bad as some of the other ones. It seems to go back in time to at the end of the time when the children of the Pharaoh are taken by the priest of Set, their uncle, mm -hmm. and seems to show them at the end of the six years time, um, having been trained, the older brother actually being a priest of Set, the younger brother, yeah. I don't really think, but seems to be some kind of mage, maybe a wizard, maybe a magus, I'm not sure, not sure Sid even knows what mag magi are, but whatever. <laughs> but their training is, well, aggressive. There's literal blood being spilled. Don't you think, wait, you guys think the younger brother is Hakatep, right? I don't know. Well, there may be some confirmation of that in the vision. So, you're telling me we're going to have to fight an undead magic-wielding mummy? Is that, that what's, that's what's happening? Well, I think I'm we already sure. figured that. Well, it's either going to be that or it's going to be a priest of Set. I'd much rather fight the priest of Set. I don't know. They can I'd, channel negatively yeah, and that I don't can know hurt. About that. Anyway, to get back to the story, I got the names of both of them because the pharaoh came in and was going to take them back from his brother, the priest of Set. I've completely forgotten what their names were. Cause Atet and Ramus. The older one's name was Tet. Atet. Is it Patet? Is it P-T-E? A-T-T. Atet. It is actually I-A-H-T-E-T. Good lord. The older one's name was Atet. The younger one's name was Ramos. Well, neither of those are Hakatet, but they probably took it. Oh, the pharaohs always change their names. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it doesn't still say which one was which, but the next part might actually imply it. The pharaoh took a look at the older brother, saw that he had a holy symbol of set on him and basically said that their southern borders were weak and they needed to put the governor there and decided to send his older brother and had him marry a, a merchant's daughter. Hmm. So, I mean, kind of removing him from the palace. Does that mean he can't be Pharaoh then if he marries the merchant's daughter? I don't think it matters. Uh, could I roll like a knowledge history to know if that's a thing that you... You could make a knowledge nobility check if you wished. Oh, I don't have nobility. I gotta go and grab my chicken one second. I go and get sugar <laughs> and ask her what she thinks. Sugar's our nobility expert. Hollis goes and grabs sugar. Sugar, I gotta ask you an about Another Ferris. reason to miss on yours. All right, fine. I was arranging your assorted collection of different wires and small metal pipes mm -hmm. that are necessary for your lightning bolt spells. Well, that, can, <laughs> that can be done later. First, we need your your uh, opinion on, you know, ancient history drama. All right, fine. I'm coming back for you, Bat Guano. She glances back towards the pile <laughs> that she's making before <laughs> hops up into your arms. All right, I bring her out and re-explain the situation and ask her. Oh, like she wasn't listening. <laughs> if she can hear, Onhawk can hear. That's fair. Oh, she was inside. I forgot. Never mind. Yeah, no, she was inside. inside, so hopefully Onhawk can't hear all this. So what do you think? Does that mean he can't be Pharaoh? Uh, you, can ever, you can either roll or take 10, whichever you prefer. Knowledge nobility. She'll take 10 for a 25. Jeez. Okay. Mm, no, that wouldn't preclude him from being Pharaoh. However, it would usually be you'd marry someone inside of the family. That's how they kept it all in the family. So it might mean he would be viewed less favorably by the others 
but he would still have a birthright claim. Sugar says it wouldn't preclude him, but that it is unusual. Others might look down upon him, but technically his birthright claim is still there. I mean, the son was not happy about it. What about facial features? Did you see anything, like, recognizable from the older Hakatep to the young boys? Did Sudi make that observation? That's a great question. Oh, yeah, because we totally... They were old. They look very similar. Although, again, you're talking about two brothers. I know, but yeah, I didn't know if there's like, so. scars or or certain hair. Neither, I mean, neither of them bared the blackened scar that the older Hakatep did. Okay. Remember when you saw him in the flashback in Chisisek's tomb or Chisisek's workshop that he had a like a blackened scar on his side. Neither of them had that. Yeah, yeah um, but I meant like, you know, childhood injury or scars on uh, the face uh, or. I'll let Sudi make an intelligence roll. Me making an intelligence roll is not great. I roll a four for a four. Oh, uh, all humans kind of look the same to you. <laughs> yep, that's what I thought. <laughs> I will also let this, anyone that has linguistics may make a linguistics check, because you guys did hit on something interesting. Uh, roll an 11 for a 22. Oh, there's that roll. I roll a 14 for a 19. I rolled a 6 for a 12. I roll a 17 for a 21. So, Hollis and Masika, feasibly. You know, Masika, you're, the people out here in the desert use more of kind of middle Osiriani, more of the old tongue than really the modern Osiriani. At the very least, use a lot of the older words that have fallen out of favor in the, the Sphinx River Basin out here in the deserts. And Hollis, you've made a study of ancient languages and such during your time as an archaeologist. And in particular, that this might apply a bit more to the Church of Nethys. Hmm. Ha is the ancient Osirian word for magic. Hotep literally means is pleased. Oh... That little brother's certainly Hakatep. What makes you say that? Because his name means magic is pleased. And if you're saying the other one followed Set and they had kind of a thing with Nethys, then the mage is the one I put my money on for that sort of a name. Well, but for that to happen, they would have had to had the uh, the elder brother would have had to die, right? Isn't it? Didn't you say oldest? that a long time ago the pharaoh was going to have them go through a competition because he couldn't pick mm-hmm. which one was going to be pharaoh? Mm-hmm. Pharaoh yeah, he was going against tradition anyway. I mean, maybe, but regardless, the younger brother spent the, at least some time in the palace in Sotis, so would have had access to a lot more interactions with nobility and politics than the brother who's been basically relegated to the south. That's what we're saying, that the younger brother is Hakatep. I mean, it makes sense, I guess. I mean, he did mention the teachings of Nahamra to depend on magic and not just his sword. So that could, at least it shows that he was not completely taken over by the set teachings. Which is good. Narmer. Uh Uh-huh. Is he leaving anything important out? Uh, Let's see. They were fighting. Uh, They blasted each other with magic. But one of them healed each other with magic. The other one blasted them with magic. The Pharaoh's brother was really upset. At the very least, that's what Shudi kept saying. What's he mad about? I mean, he was definitely disappointed when the older brother underestimated the younger brother. Because technically, I guess, when they started the fight, they had never been told that they couldn't use magic. Wait, why were so, they fighting? Oh, I don't know. I imagine some kind of training exercise from the look of it. Hmm. But um, there was also some woman with him, um, some kind of a soldier. Uh, the 
Pharaoh's sister, I think, whose name I've completely forgotten. Yaka Laga Laga. She said it, you said it once and I couldn't get the spelling. All right. You want the spelling? Hold on. Prepare yourself. Oh, I no. wrote down Istokimotet, but I don't I know if I spelled it correctly. It's close. I-S-A-T-E-M-K-H-E-B-E-T. Good gracious. That's wild. And Ishtemhikbet. And she's the Sedite brother's wife, too, right? No. No, because he said that they weren't, like, close enough for they that? Didn't, like, they, didn't they weren't act acting again. in that manner. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So this must be another sister? Yeah, because he's <laughs> married to one of the sisters. Yes, the, the Pharaoh's brother, who is the high priest of Set, is married to another priestess of Set, who is also his sister. And then this was another sister of the two brothers, the pharaoh and his brother, who was the priest of Set. And then we think the two Setites have a daughter. Yes. We are literally going to have to put down some kind of family tree for these guys because (laughs) I am so confused. The family tree is just a web. It might literally be a web. (laughs) Gracious. Well, then, and then the older brother, son, is on Yuris's father because Hakatep is his great uncle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think we're going to have to put a diagram. Let me go get lucid charts so I can start diagramming this out because I think I'm confused and I've been <laughs> we've been in this. I don't know how the fans are feeling. <laughs> Not necessarily because one of the the daughters could have technically had a son and then they took over as Pharaoh. That's true. Uh, yeah. The Pharaoh did have five daughters also. Yep. Yeah. So Gracious. it could have it been one of the daughters. But uh, when the pharaoh arrived, Nahamra was with him, and uh, let's just say Nahamra and uh, the high priest of Set, not exactly friends. Oh, that's shocking. The high priest of Set doesn't like followers of other deities. (laughs) Well, it was more, I mean, I got kind of an impression that it's more than just, you know, dislike for each other personally or or even like a a grudge. The Sedites want power, but the Church of Nethys is the Pharaoh's advisor. Of course they don't get along. To be fair, it was also Nahamra who suggested the need for somebody to have be governing over the southern area of Osirian. That's just a clever plot. He doesn't want the Church of Nethys to lose power if a Sedite ascended to the throne. I mean, I don't have the context to know if it was made up or if it was real, but it definitely was a little too convenient that there was already a plan with the pharaoh to wed off his uh, son to the merchant's daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I was Nahamra, I'd be playing an excellent game of chess right now because you're looking at the future of your nation and whatnot. You certainly don't want to put somebody that follows Set on the on the throne. They've had plenty of real bad rulers that followed uh, last things. Did I notice if the son had uh, the the younger son uh, Ramos had a um, like holy symbol of Nethys or anything? Horus, any any other deity? He was wearing no holy symbol or anything. Okay, he's just an arcane guy. Also, maybe pertinent. You know, they were both stripped down to the waist. He was he wasn't wearing a pouch or anything else to carry magical components either. Sorcerer. Yeah, he's a sorcerer. I kind of thought he was a sorcerer. I don't know why it made me think he was a sorcerer, but he's so charismatic. I have to say, Hollis puts an arm around Citra. Aside from the whole making the three souls thing, I like your great, 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 whatever father. Yes, but it's strange that he did that. If he likes Hakatep, if he wanted Hakatep to be on the throne, why did he do that ritual to begin with and split him? What changed? 
there must well, have been know. a falling out because you said in the last vision that he wasn't happy with recruiting Jisisek. Well, the the issue with Nahamra going back and, and splitting the soul was because they needed information from Hakotep after his passing. So mm-hmm. it, it seems like an act of desperation because they really needed that information less so than something changed in their relationship. I wonder if they even got the information. Oh, I doubt it. I don't think so, because apparently from the, if I remember right, the ritual or whatever they did that split the, that tried to raise him or get the information from him split the soul. And so I don't think they ever got any information. That's also why they lost all of the aeromancy and things that Hakatep had. I also believe that the heart is the one that would have those memories and it completely takes over whoever touches it. To clarify a little bit, I guess, to, to recap on some of what you've seen from the previous vision, since it has been some time from that. Nahamra informed the pharaoh that it had failed and that they had been unable to get the information that he split his soul because the pharaoh's spirit was so heavily warded that they could not speak with it. And so they had to break it down to its component parts. But then his Ka and Ba were too powerful to the point that they actually had to kill one of the other priests of Nethys that was there because Mm -hmm. he was being taken over by the power of his Ba. The hot. And that Nahamra was almost overwhelmed by the power of the mask. Yeah. We still haven't figured out what cursed my family. Yeah. No. Because Onyurus's father just banished him into the desert. We don't know yeah. where the curse came from. <laughs> Might not have even been him. So anyway, it leaves a lot of unanswered questions, unfortunately. But, I mean, we're kind of used to that at this point. Well, the best things generally do. Yeah. But, I mean, I think our, our idea that it's the younger brother is probably going to be correct. Unless there's a huge change in the older brother, because, I mean, I don't feel like worshipping Set is something you just go back on. Well, and just because you don't worship Set doesn't mean you're great. No, no, not at all. I mean, Nethys is a deity that doesn't care about right or wrong or good mm-hmm. or evil. Just magic. It's not always a good thing. No, but it's, you know, it's a tool like any other. I mean, a hammer can put in nails, it can also kill people. It's all about who wields it. Just look at those golems, they keep trying to kill you. Ah. <laughs> Speaking of golems. Speaking of hammers, let's sleep so we can go fight one. Uh, Sudi once again kicking himself for not having golem bane scarab because really Citra is probably the only person who's going to be able to do damage to this thing. Yeah, I'm not exactly excited about that. <laughs> I don't know. I have a handful of things that uh, I took for constructs specifically. I got I got pretty much nothing. You got you got some uh, some rusting grasp. I got no. eroding ray. What, what else did we determine works on this thing? Rust or I think rusting attacks and. Putting it in a pit and that kind of standard stuff. I mean, Um, a grease spell will haste it. Well, we know not to do that. (laughs) Not that we generally going around just greasing people up. Yeah, and eroding grass will deal damage to it and make it staggered. What about eroding ray, which specifically targets constructs? Does it allow for spell resistance? Yeah, I was going to say, I've actually never heard of that spell. I've never heard of that, so that's interesting. No, it doesn't allow for spell resistance. They said the damage ignores hardness and damage reduction because I was just looking it up to see if it's on the shaman list and it is not. <laughs> yep, but I was like, it's been in my spell book forever. Oh, did you already purchase that one? Oh, well, well there resting, you go. Look at, look at you looking ahead. Resting is also hey. not on the shaman list. Yeah, I don't have that Once one. Once again, now. you need a druid. <laughs> I know, man. If I die, I'm playing a druid. druid druids and bards, always useful. Hmm. So I suppose all of you make your way back in. Lon Hawk gives all of you kind of a curious look before you know, just shrugging. He's not really a curious dwarf. I'm going to sense motive because that's suspicious in that he's not suspicious. 
I roll a three for a ten. He's thousands of years out of time. He doesn't give a flying frick what we're doing. <laughs> He's probably just like, oh, I guess this is a new cultural norm that they have that I'm not I'm not aware of. <laughs> I did get a twenty nine just in case. No, I mean, honestly, he seems to just assume that more likely than not, you guys have a lot of stuff going on as well as your interparty relationships, and he would rather not get involved with that and finish the business here, which is paying all of you back for assisting him so that he can go and find out whether or not his children had grandchildren and his clan still exists. I hope so. It'd be nice. As long as he's not going to go Wookiee life dead on us. I feel sad for him and I want him to go find out that he has a family still. It's just like, you know, his great, 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 great grandchildren. I mean, he's already kind of helped save us, like, especially in those last fights. So I think after he's done here, we can be like... I was going to say, he is very useful. I'm actually, I'll be sad to see him go. I thought you were going to say, it's like, I actually makes me miss Segura a lot more because it's like, man, that favorite enemy human does make me miss Segura. Yes. It is very helpful against cultists. Oh... Favorite enemy human. Alas, you will not miss Sagira when Hollis casts displacement on Citra and haste the party. Hey. <laughs> there you go. I imagine you, you guys formulate your plans. You settle down to sleep. You have, generally speaking, pleasant dreams. Sudi seems to be a little confused and conflicted with everything that was going on in that vision. He's got so. a lot of thinking about all the weird stuff that Tedasura said. So, you know, he's he's not a smart man. So, well, I guess he's got a little bit of wisdom, but like, I'm, I'm not the quick-witted, you know, thinking on his feet kind of guy. So you settle in for the evening. Rest up. Make yourselves as comfortable as possible. I imagine set up a watch. Yep. Mostly Sudi. <laughs> it's mostly me every night. That's the yep. thinking time. And armor. Keeping your ears pivoting. And armor. And armor. Unhawked is also happy to take a watch at some point. Especially, you know, C's got the dark vision. So that works pretty well. Sudi's just probably relying on his keen sense of hearing. Yep. Well, yeah, because he's doing the whole, like, meditation, but not going full in where you're, like, tuned out to the outside world. You just hear the occasional sounds of Narmer, you know, little tick, tick, tick as he's, you know, scuttling around. There aren't any uh, rocks in here, so you just wake up surrounded by small stacks of trail rations. <laughs> <laughs> I've made the place as gin as possible. I don't even know how I know gin. Anyway. <laughs> Pre-programmed. Yep. It must have been part of my foreign studies. Uh, <laughs> you rest up for the evening, awaken the following day. I imagine kind of glance nervously about one another, stretch, cast get yourselves ready. Cast mage armor. <laughs> cast, honestly, you might as well cast like well, you don't want to lose a round of haste, but I was going to say you could you could buffer with like displacement and stuff before uh, we even teleport in. She gets 10 rounds of haste, so... <laughs> I guess that's true. There's like a series of events that are going to have to occur. Oh, actually, if you did that, you could actually haste Anahawk, too, if we're in, if we're down there and then you you dimension door past the golem, you could cast the you could cast the uh, haste, then teleport, and Anahawk to be hasted, too. If you wanted to walk with Anahawk all the way down to the door and then just teleport onto the other side of the door... Yeah, that was kind of what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here's what we will do. All right. I'm going to start by hasting the... While we walk to the uh, the door, I'm going to haste the party. Okay. I'm going to, the next round, cast Displacement on Citra. Is there any point in resisting energy? Can it do anything energy related? No. No, all you knew that it could do is explode, grind you. It can basically do tons of physical damage. We have diamond dust, right? Yeah. I think so. It's in the med kit. Because I do have one spell that would be effective. <laughs> but requires diamonds. Yay. Yes. Stone skin. Oh. I think I'm actually going to cast it on Citra. 
Okay. Because Citra is going to do way more damage. And if it's like the other unintelligent thing, it's going to go for the thing that is damaging it the most. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah because I'm going to have I'm going to have a DR of eight when I get big. Okay. How much diamond dust are you needing for this? 250 GP. We have a thousand. Okay. Now we have 750. Alrighty. All right. So stone skin for Citra. Yes. Um, so you get a damage reduction of 10 adamantine. Once you take 100 points of damage, the spell will go away. So after 10 rounds, the spell is con. Okay. Basically. If, if pertinent, not to scare you or anything, this thing can't do under 10 hit points of damage. Oh, Jesus. So it will knock off 10 hit points of damage for the first 10 hits. Well, it, <laughs> has, to, it has to hit you first, and it's going to have That's to roll true. That's true. 50 percentile. Okay. That's All fair. Right. We, we have buffed Citra to the max And here. Citra's hasted, so she's got a little baby <laughs> bonus of fastness. Uh, and then I will dimension Doris to the opposite side of the room. And start to pray. Kay. Oh, Cyrus. I'm going to assume in this formation. With the front line as close to the thing as possible. With the rest right. of the back. Mountains of treasure. So I suppose then. We land in the difficult terrain. Hollis, you chant in tone, acutely aware of the fact that this thing is massive and assuming standing in the center of the room, which is where it was previously, which as you chant in tone, gesture out with a hand, pull everyone through the purple door. The air shifts around all of you and Hollis, you find your estimation was correct. You find yourself in the middle of a room that since it is... 30 feet across, and this thing has a 10-foot reach, everything in the room is inside of its reach. As you hit the other, as you exit this, all of you kind of crash in as if you're in this overstocked closet or warehouse where you begin knocking things in every direction as you suddenly displace piles of scrolls and armor racks and stacks of books just go flying in every direction as gold spills across the floor as you hit the other side. The soft tick, 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 tick that you'd heard your entire approach down here begins to begin to whirl up as all the gears start to spin and this thing's chest cavity seems to split open in a way shockingly similar to Narmer. As you can see, all these gears and cogs begin to grind through it. Uh, and as you dimension door through, I am going to need initiative from the party. Yay. I don't suppose we're getting a sneak attack round on this thing. Uh, the party will... So here's how I'm going to run this. I'll let everyone roll first. Seriously? Hollis will have left sugar out in the hallway in case she gets ground to dust. Great idea. I'll never forget you. Is Narmer coming with us? Yes, because Narmer can spit acid at it. Oh, fair. I also just want to say hi to my is bigger Narmer brother. Is Narmer a small-sized creature? <laughs> Narmer is a tiny-sized creature. Okay. Yep, yeah, I look forward to using a ranged attack within its reach. Wee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. So what does uh, displacement do for me? They have to roll a 50% mischance when they try to hit you. Nice. And we're hasted? Yes. Yep. And I'm keeping track of how long because we had 10 rounds, but we've used two rounds of haste and one round of displacement. Yep. Okay. So you pull everyone through. Hollis. Hollis rolled a 17 for a 24 initiative. Nice. Very well. Sudi. Sudi rolled a natural one for a four. Ouch. Jeez, Very much. Big, big oof. Big oof. Very well. Masika. Masika rolls an 11 for a 13. Citra. <laughs> Citra rolled a 13 for a 19. All right. All right. And on hot, it was an 18 for 20. 
At least your flank buddy got a decent initiative. And the golem. Come on, natural one. So this is how this is going to work. And fortunately, this works out pretty well for the party also. So in essence, combat begins. Before the surprise attack round happens, Hollis casts Dimension Door, which technically initiates the surprise attack round. Okay. All of you would have had to have delayed until after Hollis went mm. to be able to actually act because you had to wait for Hollis to actually do her spell. However, Hollis did roll the highest initiative in the party. So hey. Hollis steps through and cannot act. All the rest of you hit mm. the other side and have one action you can take in the surprise attack round. Citra Nahamra. I assume I had my weapon ready to go, so I am going to slash at it. I'm assuming you you're going to have whatever both. weapons out you want to. Yeah, you could have had both. I could have for once had both. Citra is, is going to employ her two weapon fighting for once. Hey. You cannot. Why? Surprise attack round. Yep. <laughs> um. oh, fine. Okay. After getting all the buffs from everyone, Citra will slash down at it. All right. So you teleport in, you spin your kukri, you swing. There we go. It's flat footed. Hey. That may or sneak may not affect its armor class. Need a calculator. Can Uh-oh, you sneak attack numbers. it? It is subject to sneak attack. Hey. Hey. Oh, actually, that's easy math. 16 plus 14. That's a 30 plus my one for haste. 31. A 31 will hit your target's flat-footed AC as you spring in, leap to the fore, probably having spent the evening, not telling Masika this, but probably having spent the evening studying Narmer and his construction, thinking that it's probably something close to that where the vulnerable points would be on this thing. It's basically just Narmer, but blown up to magnificent size. <laughs> All right. Hey, so I get my Narmer is magnificent. <laughs> and I, I get my sneak attack, yes? That is correct. You do get your sneak attack as you bury your blade into it. Okay. Those are pretty dang good numbers. Calculator. You know, it's dangerous when Rachel has to add for a while. You shush. That's a compliment. <laughs> uh, that's 31 points of damage. Ouch. Nice. Wowzers. That's what you rolled to hit it. I'm also going to do some debilitating injury up in here. All right. Because I assume this thing hits really well, I'm going to get its attack bonus. So it's minus six against me and minus two against everyone else. All right, that will do. <laughs> so you dive nice. to the fore, you leap up, you bury your blade, sinking it right into the joint between its shoulder and its arm as you just dig your blade in and wrench. Gears go flying in every direction, and one of them pops off with enough force to leave like a small bloodline across your cheek as it shoots over your shoulder. <laughs> the thing reverberates before beginning to steadily turn back towards you. Bring us to. Yep, you got its. Uh, you got its attention. Masika. I'm not sure that's a good thing. Um, I guess Masika is gonna just move up next to Citra. I know that's like what ten feet of movement. Yep. And then uh, since it's still flat-footed, Narmer's gonna spit at it. All right. Uh, I'm sorry, brother, but it has to be this way. <laughs> Narmer gets a twenty-one. Yeah. A twenty-one will hit its touch AC. Narmer does three points of acid damage. There's a sizzling as it splashes into it from Masika, Sudikantar. Okay, you mentioned this is difficult terrain with all this stuff. That is correct. Okay, uh, I am going to take uh, 10 feet of movement to move around to the side of it. And then as a swift action, I'm going to get big, give myself some righteous might and a whole lot of DR. All right. Sudi, you stride over, explode into a larger side, sending a small pile of mummified cats rolling in a cascade past you, bringing us to round one of combat. Hall Starkweather. 
Hollis is gonna cast a spell on the defensive. Wait, you don't have to. It hasn't gone yet. Oh, right. It hasn't gone yet. Hollis is gonna move 20 feet to the corner. She feels safer in the corner. Hollis puts Hollis in the corner. And then she's gonna cast Eroding Ray. All right. Which is a lot like uh, Scorching Ray, but it only hurts constructs or objects. Okay. I've got to make ray attacks. There's two ro- two two ray attacks. I rolled not great, so we'll see. <laughs> it is flat-footed touch AC, so there's a chance. I rolled a seven for a fifteen, and I rolled a six for a fourteen. Both of those will hit. Hey, that's great. No save or anything. Uh, nope. No. If a ray hits, the target begins to crumble, taking 2d6 points of damage. It ignores hardness and damage reduction. Ooh. All right. That's spiffy. Yeah. Uh, I rolled 14 total damage. Nice. All right. So and now I regret my life choices. God, Citra, please hurt it some more. <laughs> 2d6? 2d6 for each ray. So 46 oh, for total. Each 46 ray. total. Yeah, 46 yeah, total right oh, now. Okay, because I was like, it's how like did scorching you get 14? Ray. Nice. So two, I imagine these like burnished red rust colored rays shoot from your fingertips before slicing into this thing. Portions of it crumple. The room fills with this horrible screeching sound of rusted gears grinding together as it begins to turn back around. Still having, haven't finished fully turning back towards Citra yet. Oh my. In the meantime, Onhawk throws open the door. Hey bud. uh, Rushes in to the flank with Citra, bending his copash as he closes, taking a two-handed grip in the hopes that he might be able to get through his damage reduction. The bald dwarf le- looks between its legs towards Citra and nods. She gives him a nod back. We got this. Yeah. Or, you know, we're all gonna die. Bringing us to the construct. Uh, yeah, it's gonna try to kill Citra. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Did the most damage. I'm glad, but I'm sad also. Yeah. Roll your percentile, please. All right, 33 will not get through the mischance. Yeah. yeah. It backswings. All right, that's a 64, which will get through the mischance that time. But he also has a minus six against me. Minus six to its attack roll. <laughs> and uh, you're which means forget. it gets a 33. Oh my God, yeah, wow. still. Uh, it's gonna be one of those kind of fights. <laughs> that That is with a minus six, so. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, it Everybody has backup character out. ideas, right? <laughs> yes, oh, a druid. Yeah. Follower of Wadget. <laughs> this is about to hurt. Well, that's why I gave you all my spells I could give you. Ooh, 2d10, you say. Oh, and you have the, right? the stone skin. Don't forget that. Oh, yeah, you're definitely going to need that. That'd be 24 points of damage oh! as it slams its fist down okay. onto you. So, so I 14. only take... 14. So, okay. As a free action. What? It's clamps lock onto you. Uh, does a 36 beat your combat maneuver defense? Yeah. Oh boy. Does it have to roll mischance for that? Uh, no, because it's already connected. So it's a free action once you've hit with your attack. Oh yep. no, we made a mistake, guys. <laughs> uh, after this, uh, the gears in its hand begin to slice and grind into you. <laughs> I don't like this free action. I assume that's a grapple. It works like a constrict. Ah, okay. Uh, so as it, since it is successfully grappled, it then uh, basically shreds you for 28 points of damage. Oh my uh, gosh! You knock 10 off of that. <laughs> as blood goes spraying every direction as this thing basically hits you, and then it's more or less like this. 
It's more or less that its fist ends in a wood chipper as it grabs onto Gracious. and begins to shred and grind Citra into muddy paste. Uh, I don't well, like Masika, we know what you're doing next round. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That I is don't nuts. Like this, this, the, the Citra is not down for this plan anymore. <laughs> oh. Imagine if it hit that first time also. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of, Citra and Nahamra, you're grappled. But you can, can stab still it still. Attack? Since you are grappled, you currently are taking a minus four penalty to dexterity, a minus two penalty to attacks and combat maneuver checks. And yeah. So in essence, you're taking a minus four penalty to attacks because you're a dex-based attacker. Okay, well, I, I still need to attack it. So can I still full out attack? Can I like... Yeah, I mean, you stuff? can still full out attack it if you so wish. Do it. You can take any action that does not require two hands. So what we've learned is Citra can never two-weapon fight. That's just <laughs> the I rule. know. What the heck? The one time. Hey, okay. Masika, did you take freedom of movement? No, I did or not. Or liberating command or anything like that? No. I can't, so I know I don't have Sad. it. Sad. All right. So I rolled a 17, which gives me a 28 minus 4, 24 plus 1, 25. Plus 2 for flanking? Plus two for flanking. The 25 would miss. The 27 hits. Oh, my God. Wow. This so is you high. manage to bring your blade around and ram it into the arm currently shredding you. Okay. There's Jordan's like, oh, I don't like the sounds of that AC. Yeah. You're hasted. I mean, my, my, my turn may be just trying to get you out of that mess. I counter grapple. Hey, it's a tactic. I mean, yeah. I've looked at all my spells a hundred times. I have nothing to get you out of this. I apologize. Yeah, I don't okay. either. Uh, that'd be... 24 points of damage. Very well. You know what would be great here? Grease. 24 yeah. no. points of damage. No. Bypassing its damage reduction. No, no Grease Citra, not it. <laughs> okay. My second attack. Yep. Gears and cogs go flying in every direction as you bury your blade into it. Okay. But I don't think it's going to hit. I rolled. You're hasted. I know. So. No, because of the minus four. What I get, you get? A, so 15 plus nine, which is a 24 minus four. So it'd be plus the flank. It'd be a 22. 22 will not strike your target. Yep. Oh All boy. Right, Continue trying to get your blade into an angle. Of course, like pain shooting through your arm. And that is a perfect 20. Confirm. A perfect yes. 20 confirm. will automatically hit threat. Roll to confirm your critical. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Second perfect 20 will automatically oh. confirm oh. your critical hit. Murder oh. it! Rachel's like, I'm watching my Even for you, you're point. like, that's oh too God. much luck. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, I confirmed. So let's start rolling all the dice. That would be 35 points of damage. 35 wow. points of damage. A telling hit as your blade sinks into it. The whole thing shudders with the impact as you get closer, kind of just stabbing your way up its arm, but you still can't get to the core to actually you think hit something extremely vital. You still hit something that seems to be important, judging by the horrible screeching sound it's making, as none of your characters can realize, but all of you can associate with a very bad set of breaks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now what I'm going to do, since the uh, minusing the attack against me obviously isn't going to do anything, I'm going to do AC. minus to his AC, so minus six for me, minus two for everybody else. All cool. right. Hmm. How generous do I feel? Very extremely generous. 
because we're your friends and it and also your wife and you love us yes, all. You because you love me. I do love you. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he having to ask like about his generosity level? You're saying that. I believe you hit with your first stab, correct? Yes. You could have applied that AC penalty with your first stab. You apply it every time you do sneak attack. Oh. Which means that its AC would have been six lower on your second step. Oh! Which means that it would have actually hit. Oh! So I get another hit with my sneak attack? I'll give it to you. Yay! Yay! Y'all can't see my grin. Sorry. (laughs) Y'all can't see my grin, but it's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. We this like to do the rules like right best. around here. And I just rolled this tastes like four burning. sixes. Oh! <laughs> That's it's going to be a lot of damage. Yeah. Take him to oh, Candy Mountain, on. Charlie. So that's a 24 plus 3 plus 4 plus 7. That's a lot of numbers. So 38 points of damage. Beryl, you jig your way up its arm plunge your blade into what you can only assume will be its weak point if its design, as Chisisek designed it, matches Narmer's straight into where its soul stone would be. There is a resigning shriek sound before the thing explodes outwards in a rain of shrapnel and death. I will need a reflex save from the party. We knew that. I'm going to have to start bouncing and let it dust. Okay, no, I think why? my dice are just making up for last time where I couldn't roll anything, and that makes me happy. Well, that was one very eventful round. Um, <laughs> can we just appreciate, in a surprise attack plus a one round of combat, she dealt over 100 points of damage to this thing? Rogues, man. Uh, Dang. So, Hollis. Hollis rolls a 13 for a 21 Okay, Sudi. Sudi rolls a natural one for a 12, so he's taking it full in the Ugh. face. Do you have improved evasion? Right. I... Hey. No, I just have regular evasion. Masika? Masika rolls a 14 for a 21. Citra? Roll a 19 for a 33. Dang. All right. And this is Rachel's, this is Rachel's fight right 16. here. Right? Unhawk rolls a 16 for a 24, which will also save. So Sudi takes full damage unhawked. Hollis and Masika take half. Sudi, you take 44 points of slashing damage. <laughs> 22 points of damage to Hollis, Masika, and Onhawk. Citra takes nothing as she rolls completely out of wow. the way, grabbing one of its arm plates and shielding herself with it as I, she tumbles free. I did get my arm shredded by it, so still took damage. Ow. Dang, Chisisek, like, you a genius boy, but that hurt. <laughs> We were friends, just a sec. No, we, we would, or we would have been friends had we been born in the same time period. I don't know. Maybe Hollis. Hollis was smart. Yeah, maybe Hollis. She yeah. was smart enough to keep up with him. Because uh, that was way more than I thought it was going to be. That could, I mean, good gracious. If somebody was low on hit points, it would have actually straight up just killed you with that. Mm-hmm. There's a I good think chance that's the idea. Wowzers. I guess Hollis starts looking at this stuff. Well, let's find out if it was worth it. <laughs> The creature explodes in every direction, shrapnel flying everywhere. I suppose you take a moment to heal yourselves, pant. Masika looks sadly at all the clockwork pieces everywhere and hugs Narmer. (laughs) Narmer climbs down, picks up the head of the golem, stares at it intently, leans in close so that only he and Masika can hear. We can rebuild you. (laughs) We can make you better. Stronger, 
faster. He waddles over with the uh, the head tucked under his flipper. <laughs> I think we should keep him. Are, are you, are, you're gonna, you want to keep that? Where are you going to keep it? We don't exactly have a very she can't, carry it. she can't be more than 10 pounds. Okay. Mashika's I mean, just the head of it may be 10 pounds, but the rest of them isn't. <laughs> oh, no. According to uh, Harish, I think she said it weighs something like, I don't know, 5,000 pounds. It's very heavy. <laughs> Masika okay. is going to cast Detect Magic and help Hollis. Uh, it's, it's only 1,500 pounds. It's fine. Jeez. Yep. We're detecting the magic all up in this joint. It's going to take us a while to catalog everything in this room, I'm sure. Uh, what do you guys get taking 10 on Detect Magic? On a spellcraft? On uh, a spellcraft? Uh, 29. Masika gets a 24. Okay. So I'm just going to go rapid fire through here because this is what you find magical in this room. Mm. Okie dokie. You find the following. A small statue of Anubis, of which you're able to identify as a magic item known as an effigy of Anubis. What does that do? Can we summon Anubis? No, unfortunately. This figurine stands several inches tall and is carved of black stone with gold highlights resembling a man with the head of a jackal. Uh, Any of those you can take 10 on knowledge religion and get basically 20 can identify this as Anubis. If you follow the old gods, if you can take 10 and get a 15. I can do this. Also, many of you have already seen statues of Anubis. True. Once per week, an effigy of Anubis enables its possessor to use speak with dead to ask up to six questions. The effigy must be placed within the rib cage of a corpse and the corpse's answer come through the effigy. The jackal's mouth moves with the words. That's cool. That's um, Mas- cool. Masika would like that since she's kind of like the okay. divinatory person. <laughs> cool. Yeah. The corpse okay, must okay. still be mostly intact and have mouth for the spell to work. In addition, an effigy of Anubis can be used to bring a dead creature back to life. What? What? Though Anubis, as the god of the dead, is willing to grant only temporary reprieve from oblivion. Breaking the figurine reveals a hollow interior filled with diamond dust. If this diamond dust is sprinkled on a corpse that has been dead for less than 48 hours, the creature comes back to life, as with temporary resurrection. This effect lasts for 24 hours, at which point the creature dies again. Once used in this way, an effigy of Anubis loses all of its magic and is destroyed. Masika still wants it. I mean, the speak with dead thing is definitely potentially useful. I also, I love a magic item that's breaking case of character death and need for vengeance. Yes. <laughs> for, a quick, like. for quick vengeance and then back to my rest. Um, how much is that worth? Uh, 6,900 gold. Yes, Kay. Masika will take that. In addition to this, you find a pair of uh, rather nice looking spectacles. A very ancient Osirian Ooh. design. The Eyes of the Eagle. Oh, cool. There is a metal rod, which is a rod of metal and mineral detection. Weird. That makes sense for all the metal he needs for the constructs. Mm. You find, uh, I guess, sort of useful, especially if you ran into this problem before, a scroll of stone to flesh. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. You also find a wand of stone shape with 43 charges remaining. Uh, So that that scroll of stone shape we should put in the med kit. You mean the scroll of stone to flesh? Stone to flesh. Sorry. Yeah. Next up, and get ready for a fight over this, although it does take a next, next slot, so we'll see. You find a scarab of mummy defense. What? This is a golden amulet, which is fashioned with the shape of a winged scarab beetle holding a large ruby that represents the solar disk. The scarab grants its wielder a plus four bonus on saving throws against fear effects and enables the wearer to detect any mummy within 60 feet, although they must Whoa. concentrate as a standard action to use this Whoa, ability. Cool. Somebody needs to wear this. 
In addition, any time the wearer would be treated would be affected by a curse or disease effect, the Scarab of Mummy Defense can absorb the effect with no harm to the wearer. Upon absorbing 12 such effects, the Scarab turns to dust and is destroyed. An effect that is both a curse and a disease, such as Mummy Rots, is considered a single effect for this purpose. Whoa, okay. That's pretty good. That's, uh, that's really good. I mean, I'm immune to Mummy Rots, so I don't need to worry about that per se, but somebody needs to take that I for sure. I have very bad fortitude saves. Citra's just like, I'm just going to wear a second scarab next to my other scarab so I can detect mummies and golems. Yes. Somebody needs to take that, though. You also find the following. Uh, what do you guys get taking 10 on a price? Mm, 20, a 16. Sorry, what was that high number I heard? 20. <laughs> I also get a 20. I get a 16. Okay. And I get a 10. You also find the following as far as treasure is concerned. A platinum comb. It is worth 300 gold pieces. A crocodile funerary mask set with jade. It is worth 3,500 gold pieces. That is very cool. For your druid of Wadget, just in case. I know. Take that for a backup <laughs> character? No, just kidding. A magnificent model of a galley crewed by ivory, jade, and onyx sailor figurines. Hmm. It is worth 500 gold. That actually seems kind of low. A gold shepherd's staff worth 790 gold. Weird. Three mummified cats. They're not worth anything. We're not but there are three them. mummified cats. If you want to, like, I don't know, resurrect them or something. They've been Aww. dead too long. A collection of wax-sealed urns. They appear to contain human ashes. I Ew. don't think we care about think, that. Yeah, I think we can leave that. You can wonder to yourself later how you determine that these were human ashes with your appraise check. Hmm. Fair hmm. point. Human, I think. They had a label on them that just said human ashes. Yeah, there was a label. On Hawk identifies them because he gets his favorite enemy bonus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And an assortment of coins totaling 109 platinum pieces, 2,037 gold pieces, 4,789 silver pieces, 6,158 copper pieces. Lastly, Chistisex Treasure Trove is a complex depository of lore consisting of carvings, hieroglyphs, scrolls, architectural plans, all of the information here being in ancient Osiriani, for those of you who read it, which I believe mm -hmm. is everyone in the party. Yay! Yep. In essence, meaning everyone's going to have to make some research checks yeah! next oh, time. Man. Yeah. <laughs> research. Research checks. This game, this book began with research checks and it will end Ooh, with research checks. And knowing is half the battle. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.